Hello everyone, welcome to Weekly Wholesome Words. I'm Pastor Josh. It's a joy and privilege to be able to get in God's Word with you and look at some wholesome words each week to provide for you, to have, to think upon, to meditate upon, and have them work effectually in you and provoke maybe some study in God's Word. We are looking at the issue of reign in life that comes out of Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 as Paul's talking about the atonement that we have received. And the two things that come out of that atonement are at one minute with the Lord Jesus Christ is we have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness providing a shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And it is my understanding that the, the, what we've received of the gift of righteousness is eternal life. And the abundance of grace that we have access to and that we've received and that we can uh, not only have, but as we avail ourselves of it, works that reign aspect of verse 17, reign in life. And that abundance of grace that abounds, that we ought to want to abound in the details of our life, is further described in Romans chapter 6 in regards to the Spirit baptizing us in the Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, giving us a new identity that's dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God, giving us and enabling us to yield ourselves unto God, giving us the ability and enabling us to let us in therefore reign in our mortal body, giving us and enabling us to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, unto holiness, and the end of holiness is everlasting life. And therefore the nature of the fruit that we can bear that stems forth who we now are in Christ the end of it can be translated from this life into the next. And the fruit, therefore, that we can bear in this life, that gets translated into the, the next life. The fruit that what's going to be worked, the fruit is unto that reigning in life. And therefore, when you let your mind and when you think about the, the, the implications of reigning, and what it takes for one to reign, especially what it takes and what the Lord Jesus Christ has to reign. Those are the kind of things that we are going to be bearing in our fruit. And their objective and their goal and the purpose behind it is to work something not only in this life, but for the life to come. And as we bear that fruit unto holiness and the end of it, everlasting life, it is the reason why God gave us eternal life so that our fruit can match the life that we have and they can go hand in hand together, producing by his grace and the abundance of his grace to reign in life by our new identity that we have in Christ. And folks, this is what Paul's providing for in this epistle. It's what he set forth in his introduction regarding the Lord Jesus Christ that he the, the, the made according to the seed of David. And this is what Paul separate unto regarding the gospel of God. And this son who was made according to the seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, is declared to be with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And you go back and look at some issues regarding David. David's son, God was going to be a father unto him and he was going to be a son unto him. And you had this intimate relationship that was a, that God was going to establish in a covenant for. And we don't get it in covenant form. We get, it in, we get the benefits of that covenant by God's grace. He doesn't have to covenant with us in order for us to benefit from it. 
And that, that can be understood with other covenants, like the law. As he says there in Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, and we know that the, as he goes on to say, um, and we know that the law, we say it to them who are under the law, that, sorry, and we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. It was covenanted to a specific group of people, the nation of Israel, but its benefits, or its, what it worked, extended and reached to all the world. The same thing now with the Davidic covenant. The benefits of that Davidic covenant, God didn't covenant with the Gentiles. He covenanted with the nation of Israel. But now Paul, who's received grace and apostleship from the risen Lord Jesus Christ, separate unto the gospel of God, which concerns the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's made according to the seed of David, according to the flesh. He's separate under that. And he's received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations. And therefore, the benefits of what God established with David and his son, who was going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's received grace in those things, and he's now going to give them to the nations for obedience. And we learned in Romans chapter 1 through 5, the issue of eternal life. What came out of that is the abundance of grace that he has and that we have access to that's going to provide not only eternal life, but the ability to reign in life. New, our new identity is geared towards that and, and you just again have all the connections and again in that Davidic covenant the two fundamental things was a kingdom and a throne established and they were going to be established forever and what we've learned up to this point in Romans is the fact that that benefit provided by God's grace and the abundance of it has made available not only forever not only the forever aspect not only the eternal life aspect, but also the, 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 the throne aspect, obviously not the Lord Jesus Christ's throne, but to reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And that later is going to turn into reign with Christ, reign with him. Well, as we walk after the Spirit and mind the things of the Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8, and therefore are spiritually minded, producing that life and the spirit therefore quickens our mortal body so that the things that we do the fruit that we bear are really unto holiness and not just uncleanness unto iniquity to iniquity but actually fruit in holiness and therefore is everlasting in nature in working towards that goal and that objective and that purpose god has for us not just to be in life but to reign in life we're going to do that in the context of being a son ourselves. If we're identified in the, with the Lord Jesus Christ and he himself is a son and God himself is his father, then the living union relationship that we have with Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, is one of being a son and daughter of God. And the implications of that are vast. So vast, it causes a cry from the Apostle Paul. Not just a cry of adoration, but a cry of thankfulness because he knows what it means to be a son and daughter of God. And he knows, not based upon mis the mystery of Christ, he knows what it means to be a son of God and God to be a father based upon what that what, how it was declared from the prophets now 
what that fundamentally means is there's a relationship between the father and the son. Come back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and look at this. Now there's so much that we can look into regarding this matter. Um, and if we have time, and maybe I'll just make the time, we'll look into it. But when you look at that, the, the fundamental details of the Davidic covenant, we get here to Second Samuel seven, verse twelve, uh, and you talk about the issue that he'll he'll uh, I will set up thy seed after thee, and he shall proceed out of thy bowels, and he will establish his kingdom, and so on and so on. But then you get to verse fourteen, and look what he says: part of the Davidic covenant, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if you understand what's going on here at this time in Israel's history, it's just absolutely fascinating. If you understand Leviticus 26 and the five courses of punishment, and that's what Israel contracted for based upon their performance, based upon their obedience and disobedience. If they obeyed, they get the blessings of the law. If they disobeyed, they get the curses of the law. And those curses are set forth in courses. And Israel's history up until this point was one of being under the first course of punishment. That's where he refers to in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. And as since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. When you're in the book of Judges, you're dealing with the first course of punishment. But even those judges were given by God by his grace. In other words, the law never stipulated that God had to give Israel judges to give temporary reprieves from the curse that they warranted and are worthy of because of their disobedience. And God set that up and was able to function in his Jehovahness and his grace, doing for Israel what Israel can't do for themselves because of the reserve clause that he left in Exodus chapter 33. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. I might have flipped that, but you get the point. And that's what he's doing with his own people as they're under the law, they're under the first course of punishment. They get to a point with Samuel who does some things regarding the, the, the climate there in Israel, bringing rain during the harvest, showing them and proving to them that they're worthy for the second course of punishment when God's make their heaven as iron and earth as brass. And I know, and I know that's the issue of holding back rain. But when you, when you see Samuel dealing with Israel's climate there, he's giving them a sign of their worthiness and the arrival of the second course of punishment. But instead of the second course of punishment, instead of Israel getting what they deserve, God hold, he, he reverses the first, holds back the second, and there's a great time of blessing in Israel with David and his son Solomon. God's operating by that reserve clause of his grace. Yes, Israel's under the law, but they're not suffering the consequences of their disobedience by getting the curses. They're getting the blessings by God's grace under the law. Think upon that for a little bit. And during this time, God utilizes David and Solomon in the golden age of the kingdom of Israel, that which the apostles, when they asked the Lord during in Acts chapter 1, Will that thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? When they say restore again, they're referring back to this time, a significant time. And within this time, God gives the Davidic covenant. The way in which he's going to do for Israel what Israel can't do for himself is he's going to become one of them, the Christ. And not only is he going to establish his kingdom and his throne forever, but he's going to do that in the realm of being a father unto David's son. Now, that's going to take place historically with Solomon, but its primary fulfillment is going to take place with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
That's why when you're in Luke chapter 2 and, 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 and the Lord, when he's 12 years old, which again is the age of adoption in the Jewish culture, when he stays in the temple talking to the doctors and lawyers and Mary and Joseph are going off and they have to come back and, and, and Jesus comes along, 12-year-old Jesus, the time of adoption says, don't you know I'm going to be about my father's business? I'm his son. He's my father and there's some business. And that transaction and that relationship and that interaction between the father and son is in accord with something that was set forth all the way back here at this time during this interlude of blessing that God gave in Israel's history of how a father educates a son. And when Paul comes along in Romans chapter 8 and he says, they that are led of the spirit, uh, 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 they are the sons of God. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of bondage whereby, by that spirit of, I'm sorry, not bondage, spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's that issue of adoption. It's that relationship between a father and a son that Paul understands, and by it, he cries, Abba, Father. And this is not a, a, a weeping cry. This is a this is a cry of thankfulness and, and yes, yes, Father. And if you understand what adoption is, it, it, it's, it's kind of like coming along and saying, it's about time. Well, back here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this establishing of the throne and kingdom forever is going to be done in the context of a father-son relationship. And I suggest to you, and is my understanding, when Paul sets forth the introduction there in Romans chapter 1, amplifies upon it briefly in Romans chapter 5, takes it into the abundance of grace in chapter 6. That's not going to be done under the law, as it couldn't be fully, fully dealt with here as Israel is under the law, even though they're not suffering the curses of the law con- law contract right now during this interlude of blessing in Israel's history. It was going to take place with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and and, and when we understand that you're not under the law, you're under grace. And, and, you, and you and I have this relationship with God, our Father. It ought to produce that cry in us. And when he talks about the realm in which we are going to be able to reign in life, the new identity that we have, that it's able to bring forth fruit unto holiness and the end of it everlasting life. The fruit is geared towards the reigning in life. And you come along and talk about the father issue, father-son issue there in Romans chapter 8. And it's all being coming out of Romans chapter 1 as we are to understand edification and the progressive revelation of Paul's epistles. We shouldn't be able to help ourselves but coming back here and seeing these issues. Paul doesn't have to quote a passage quote by simply utilizing the term adoption by simply utilizing the name David, by simply utilizing the term sons, by simply utilizing the term father. Those are things that ought to get us to be thinking about what Paul is talking about and where his understanding was of these matters. In fact, you go through the book of Acts and the very first thing that he's doing when you get there and, and, and when he's when he, uh, dealing with the Bereans there what, and he's preaching to them Christ, those things which were spoken so that the, 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 the Bereans could search the scriptures. Well, they didn't have Paul's epistles. They, they searched the scriptures daily, and they were more noble than those that are in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily whether these things be so. They're going back and looking at the issue of the Christ and, and what he has, and, and Paul's ministering that to, to the people, to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's letting them know, I'm separate under this. I, you can be justified from all things even from the things that you could never be justified under the law. And he's coming along and, and teaching them re- regarding the Christ, 
and providing the ability to not only have life but the reign in life. And that all is going to be shaped and formed by what Paul comes along and is going to teach in the rest of chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and so on. But the, 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 the fundamental scope is set forth in the prophets regarding the Christ. Now, now, when you understand what's going on here at this time, and you understand David and Solomon, and you understand David is a man after God's own heart, and you understand David is the king of Israel, and you understand Solomon is going to become the king of Israel. And you understand that Solomon, being a child, needs to be educated by his father David to be king over Israel. And you have that relationship between God the father and Solomon, David's son. And Solomon asking of God, not riches, not gold and silver, not a plethora of material, but he says, I need wisdom and understanding, and he needs it to rule the people. It's that wisdom and understanding to rule that ought to be of interest to us as we are in Romans chapter, in, in Romans, in dealing with the issue of reign in life, and now dealing with the issue of the son and a father, and a son and a father in a connection with the, the fruit and the holiness which is geared to reign. And there's no better book, and you can look at all the books that David wrote, that Solomon wrote, the Psalms are a good book, good part to to get wisdom and understanding out of but the book of wisdom is the book of proverbs and i just want to read to you proverbs chapter 1 verse 1 and we'll deal with this next time he says the proverbs of solomon the son of david king of israel to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding to receive the instruction of wisdom justice judgment equity folks that's what you need to rule and reign in fact if you come with me Real quick to Isaiah chapter 11. Look whom Isaiah is talking about here, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It shall make him of quick understanding the fear of the Lord, uh, in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity, uh, reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be, uh, be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. He's talking about the, the kingdom and, and, and ruling and reigning, the establishment of his throne and his kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's going to judge and rule. These are the very things that are set forth with David and Solomon of how to rule and reign. And there's going to be a certain way that David, as the father, a type of God the father, is going to educate his son Solomon, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we too now are the sons of God and receive the spirit of adoption of how a father educates his son in his business, Paul's going to follow that pattern, not with the doctrine in Israel's program, but with the mystery doctrine, because we're not under law, and we're going to rule and reign in the heavenly places in the creature, as he's going to go on to say in Romans chapter 8. But nevertheless, the fundamental way in which a father educates his son, the specific things in fact, they're general, is how David's talking about them there at first. Wisdom, understand. Well, what wisdom? But the fundamental order to be able to rule and reign in life 
is what Paul's going to follow. It's what Paul knows. It's the issue of the spirit of adoption. And when you're talking about adoption, you're talking about the specific way a father educates his son. And therefore, there are certain things to get down first. The doctrine is different. The doctrine for us in this dispensation of grace through the Apostle Paul is tailor-made for us. But nevertheless, the way in which Paul is going to progressively reveal that doctrine is not in any haphazard order. Well, we'll look at these things more next time. Until then, look up.